let's bow together for prayer, and then we'll get started. Father, you are very, very good to us, and I thank you for being with us through this uh, time of separation and isolation. Uh, Father, without the sense of your presence, uh, each day would be very, very difficult, but you have been with us, you are with us, and we thank you. Thank you for the good fellowship that we're able to have today. It's not quite the same as being in the same room, but Father, since it's the best we can do for now, we are really thankful, and I thank you for every person who has joined in, and I pray that as we continue our study in the Gospel of Luke, that you will speak to us from your precious word, and I thank you so much for the joy that is mine in seeing the faces of people that I love and uh, people that I have missed so much over these last few weeks. And so, Father, until I can see them up close and hug them, uh, we'll consider this the best we can do and say thank you. Thank you so much. So bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we can't do a physical hug, but we can do an air hug. So everybody just kind of reach out and hug the folks around you. And I'm glad to see you. If you have a Bible, open it to Luke 1. We are in the first chapter of Luke. Now, we started in February. Many of you give me a really hard time about our speed, that we go we go slow. Well, little could you have known that when we started in the middle of February on the Gospel of Luke, that here in the middle of May, we would still be in chapter one. But that was not the intent. It's just what happened. So uh, we are at the 39th verse of the first chapter. The outline was included in the message of how to get on Zoom. So I hope that you either copied it, saw it, have access to it, And perhaps you can be taking notes today as you normally do when we meet in the gym. And I want to thank Vicki for all the work she has done in uh, getting this set up. I want to thank Jason Richard for all the work he has done in getting this set up. I appreciate both of you very much. So we're at Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 39. The outline says, Mary visits Elizabeth. So as you know, we've already seen the foretelling of the birth of uh, John the Baptist. We talked about the fact that Dr. Luke is the author of of this gospel. We have looked at the foretelling, uh, the prophecy of the birth of the Savior, Jesus. And so now we are at verse 39, when Mary, the mother of Jesus, is going to visit with Elizabeth, her cousin, who is the mother of, um, of John the Baptist. So let's look at verses 39 through 45, and we'll get started once again on our study of Luke. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And it is astonishing and astounding 
when we think about the um, the prophecy made to Elizabeth and to Mary and their belief and uh, their uh, believing and being part of the great plan of God for our salvation. Now, Mary knows of Elizabeth's pregnancy. That was the last thing we read before all this happened. She goes, uh, Mary goes from her home in Nazareth for a visit to Elizabeth. Elizabeth lived in the hill country, probably to the west or southwest of Jerusalem. And the distance that Mary would have had to cover to get to Elizabeth's home would have been somewhere between 80 and 100 miles. And of course, she had to walk it. That was the method of transportation. So it would have taken Mary probably three to four days to make the journey. And she could not wait to get there and see Elizabeth. And there is a strong joy in Mary's heart and Elizabeth's heart when they see each other. You might want to say that Mary and Elizabeth are um, soul sisters, put it that way. They're soul sisters in the divine plan to save the lost. Um, They know this is more than just the fact that they are each pregnant. There is a big picture. Uh, There is the plan of God that has been revealed to them. So even though they don't know every minute detail that they might want to know, Mary and Elizabeth know enough to know that God is in control and he is orchestrating. He has orchestrated their pregnancy. He is orchestrating everything and will continue to do so in in the days ahead. They know this is more than just they're pregnant and they know that God has chosen to bless both of them. Now, Elizabeth acknowledges the baby in Mary's womb as soon as Mary gets into the house and she acknowledges that that baby is the Lord that has been revealed to Elizabeth and to her husband Zechariah. And the scripture says that when Elizabeth heard the voice of Mary, it wasn't just Elizabeth who heard the voice of Mary but the baby in the womb heard the voice of Mary. And what happened to the baby in Elizabeth's body? What happened with the one that's going to be named John? The scripture says he leaped for joy in the womb of his mother. Now, I, I just think that's God's precious way of Elizabeth and the baby himself acknowledging that they're in the presence of the Savior and a word of affirmation that even more fully solidifies the fact that God is in control of all this in the heart of Mary and, of course, in the heart of Elizabeth also. We usually think of Peter as the first in the New Testament to confess Jesus as Lord. You'll remember at Caesarea Philippi that Jesus point blank asked the disciples, who am I? What do people say? And then what do you say? And we remember that Peter gave an answer. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And sometimes we say, well, that's the first acknowledgement, true acknowledgement of Jesus as Lord. But let's put a little caveat on that. 
and say that Elizabeth and the baby in her womb were really the first to acknowledge Jesus as Lord when the baby leaped for joy and Elizabeth said what she says in this passage of scripture. Interesting verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. You might want to jot that down in your notes and read it later. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3 says, Paul writes, Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So we know that the Spirit gives Elizabeth the knowledge and the certainty of the of this baby in Mary's womb and gives to her the ability to confess Christ and to confess that this baby is indeed the Lord and there's a divine purpose for both her baby and Mary's baby. Elizabeth knows and Mary knows that God has a plan. So what is Mary's part and what is Elizabeth's part? Let me just sum it up in one word. It starts with a B. In fact, if you want to unmute and tell me what that word is, everybody will hear it. What is the word that is Mary's part? and Elizabeth's part, and it's a word that starts with a B. Who said that? Did somebody say believe? I did. Rita. Who is I? I can't tell. Rita, thank you, Rita Turner. You're absolutely correct. I have no prize to give you except to say that's the right word. Uh, Now, what's our part? Let me give you a hint. It's one word that begins with a B. So Rita can't start this time. Somebody else has to answer besides Rita. Believe. All right, who said that? Mary. Mary. Thank you, Mary. That is absolutely correct. Uh, The word is believe, and that's exactly what Mary and Elizabeth did. They believed that God had a divine plan for them and for their, their babies. Now, we get to the 46th verse of chapter 1, and this is often called Mary's song. Um, Latin term for it is Magnificat. You've heard that. Uh, it's verse 46 through, through 55, and then 56 tags on with it. So that's what I want to read now. Was this really sung? I, I don't know. Uh, it's one of four songs that we find in Luke 1 and 2. And I'm going to say a little more about those in a minute. This is the first of those songs. It certainly looks like it could be sung. And it has been put to music since Mary spoke it. And it's a beautiful song. Uh, No doubt you've heard it um, probably most often as a solo, a female solo. And it's absolutely beautiful. So let's read it. Beginning with verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnif- glorifies the Lord. Now, in the King James, I believe it says, my soul doth magnify the Lord. Now, I like, the, even though I don't use King James now, I like that because I've heard it sung so many times that way, and I recall how beautiful that song is. But indeed, my soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, 
for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Now, let, 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 let me pause there just a moment. Um, most of us are Baptist. Most of us are Protestant. We're Baptist. And, and I think we would probably say that, that the theology of Catholicism has elevated Mary to a state that she never claimed for herself, that Jesus never claimed for her, and that we would say is really not scriptural. But the the problem sometimes we have as Baptists or Protestants is that we tend, in, a, in reaction to that, we tend to make too little of Mary. So we don't want to do that either. Uh, there are a lot of things we don't know about Mary that we would like to know. And so we'll have to wait till we see her and ask her. But um, I, I want you to imagine... What kind of young lady was she? Now, this is the one that God is choosing to be the mother of his child. I'm just going to say, because I don't, I don't have any text to go to except this. Um, she had to be an incredibly extraordinary young, young woman. And we're grateful for Mary's part in Jesus' life. Of course, she gave birth to him, but also the part that she raised in his, that she played in his upbringing and the part that she played in his life, in his ministry. So we're very grateful. And so today we, we, we don't worship Mary. We don't pray to her, but we do regard her very highly. From now on, she says, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Now, you could, you know, we like to, we like to say blessed because it just sounds good. But, you know, we really would say today, blessed. Uh, they will call me blessed. So she's not claiming divinity for herself there. Uh, she's not a claiming, she's not claiming some extraordinary spiritual condition. She's just saying, I am blessed. I am blessed to be the mother of the one who is the savior of the world. Just like you say from time to time, I am so blessed. God has done this. God has done that for me. I'm, I'm, I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. God's blessed me spiritually. He's blessed me physically. And so we used to say, God, I'm blessed. That's what Mary's saying. And from now on, everybody's going to acknowledge that. I'm, I'm a blessed woman because I'm the mother of, of the one who's the savior of the world. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. There's no question here that she's not giving the praise to herself. She's giving the praise to God. There's no question about that as we read the psalm. Verse 50, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Now, are, are you catching these words? We really believe Mary was likely a teenager, older teenager, maybe. Some have said younger now. I, I think older teenager is probably accurate. Are you hearing what she says? How many teenagers do you know who 
have so much theology embedded in their hearts, so much scripture embedded in their hearts that they could sing a song like this from, from scratch. Um, it's pretty remarkable. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So Mary is acknowledging God said he was going to do this generations ago, and now it's coming true. And my part is to be the mother of the Savior. Then the last verse says, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Now let's think about the song briefly. Uh, Mary rejoices in the Lord, and she rejoices in the Lord because God has blessed her and has called her, has chosen her to be the mother of the Savior. So she's blessed. She exalts God's mercy for all, and she makes it clear in verses 51, 52, 53, that God has demonstrated his mercy to all of us in, in so many ways. And, and in times like this of, of a COVID virus, when our lives have uh, been somewhat turned upside down, when we can't physically be with each other, we can't go to church right now, um, maybe some are struggling because they haven't been able to work. Uh, but in the midst of all this, we acknowledge God's grace, his mercy, and his presence in our lives. And that's what Mary's directing us to do in the song as she's done in her heart. In her heart. And she talks about the fact that God scatters the proud. Now, Mary's very humble, and God scatters the proud. You know that the pride is detested by God, but he exalts the humble. God topples the mighty and sends the rich away empty, but he exalts the lowly. And isn't that interesting? Hasn't that been so much throughout history what God has chosen to do? to use those in humble circumstances uh, to bring glory and honor to his name. He fills the hungry and he fulfills his plan and he keeps all his promises. So as we think about, if we reflect upon Mary being the mother of Jesus, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, as we think about these two ladies and their unusual circumstances, Jump forward to 2020, and given the circumstances of Mary, given the circumstances of Elizabeth, there will be a lot of voices saying to them today, do what? Do you know what it is? You want to make a guess? There would be voices saying to Elizabeth, you're too old there's probably something wrong with this baby. Pregnancy is going to be too hard on you. You really do need to bring this pregnancy to an end. Some would say to Mary, you're just a kid. You're not married. This is a scandal to begin with. You can't take care of this baby. You just need to bring this pregnancy to an end. Sadly, that's what many would say today. Elizabeth and Mary, uh, they knew we are part of God's plan to save the lost. 
and they marveled, they were in awe, and they were filled with wonder and joy. Nowhere do we see Mary or Elizabeth saying, well, this doesn't surprise me. I deserve to be the mother of the Savior, or I deserve to be the mother of John the baptizer, as he would become known. Total humility on the part of both Elizabeth and Mary. Now, let's hasten on. No wonder it takes me a year to get through a book. Look at verse 57. We're going to talk about the birth of John. So it's time for the birth of the baptizer. Verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard what? Who's getting the glory here. They heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy and they shared her joy. Now, you remember back earlier in the chapter, John and Elizabeth had been trying to have a baby for years and finally had concluded it's never going to happen. And in fact, Elizabeth is considered to be too old to have a baby. Well, look what God has done. And God gets the glory. Everybody who hears of it is saying, God has shown mercy and we are filled with joy for our friend Elizabeth. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then the, Now, this, this next verse is an insult, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But you look at it and see if you don't draw the same conclusion I do. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. Do you see the insult? If you're not seeing it, I'll tell you in a minute what it is. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, People were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. I love that. So spread the word that God's getting the glory and people are wondering, what is God going to do with this baby? Now, let's think about the birth of John briefly. The Lord has shown his great mercy. No one thought this was possible. Elizabeth is too old, but God has done a mighty work. And that's what the people recognize, that God is at work. All children are a gift of God's mercy. And we should receive children with the joy that Elizabeth received, with the same kind of joy with which Elizabeth received John. In verse 59, we see the obedience of Zechariah. And Elizabeth in taking baby John to be circumcised on the eighth day, which was um, Jewish practice. The covenant, the sign of the covenant is circumcision. And so everyone assumed that there's a crowd that goes with them. This is a big deal. This is a big celebration. Everyone assumed that the baby would be named Zechariah. going to be junior. Zechariah Jr., that was the assumption, and normally that would have been correct. But Elizabeth says, no, 
baby's name is John. And like the reaction is say what? You know, what did you say? John, there's nobody named John in your family. Now, insultingly, I mean, I'm taking it this way, insultingly, they ignore what Elizabeth said. She's the mother. They ignore what she said, and they turn to John, and they ask him, what's the baby to be named? I mean, we ignore the mother. Her word's worthless. What, what, are you, what do you say? Now, did you notice something very interesting here? How did they communicate with Zechariah? I can't do sign language, but that they signed. So what does that mean? We always talk about John, uh, about Zechariah not being able to speak. There was something else he couldn't do. He couldn't hear. Otherwise, they would have just asked him, and he could have written down the answer. But they had to sign it to him. What's the baby's name? And so not only had Zechariah lost his ability to speak back those months ago, but he also lost his ability to hear. So he asks for something to write on, and he writes the name, and the name is John, exactly what Elizabeth had already told them. And what happens as a result of his writing down the name John? Well, immediately he's able to speak and hear again. And what's the first thing that was done? He praised God, and so did everybody else. Now, the neighbors are absolutely in awe. (laughs) They're absolutely in awe. And uh, so they all went home and sat on the news, right? Nope. They went out and told everybody everywhere back in their villages, here is what happened. God is up to something. God has plans. God has done an incredible thing in the life of Elizabeth and Zechariah. And what is God going to do with this baby? And they named him John. His birth is a miracle. So people are acknowledging, they're acknowledging something extraordinary about this baby. Now, leap forward to verse 80 just for a moment. Notice it says, and the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Now, what I want to point out there before we go back and get the next section. In that first part of verse 80, That verse calls out to us to want the same thing for our children. Uh, If you look back at verse 66, what then is this child going to be? And the answer in verse 80, he grew and became strong in spirit. It didn't say he grew and became strong physically, though he certainly may have, but he grew and became strong in spirit. Isn't it true, Christian parents, grandparents, isn't it true when we prayed for our children and for our grandchildren, we didn't pray, I, I mean, I hope, I don't think, we didn't pray, God help my son, my daughter to be fabulously rich. Help them to have all the material blessings that this world has to offer. We, I don't think there's anybody on this screen who prayed that. What we did pray was, God, I so want this child to love you 
and to follow you. Help me to be the kind of parent, grandparent, that will help influence them toward Jesus. And and that's what brings us joy. Now, if you've got a child that's wealthy, you've got a child that's uh, well-known, that's nice. I mean, that's really nice. But what we really most want for our children is that they know Jesus and follow him faithfully. That's what's most important. So that's what we desire for our, our own families. So the, 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 the hand of God is on John and uh, we've read the rest of the story. So we know, know what's going to happen, but they didn't know yet all the details except God has a plan. So we've got another song. And it's called Zechariah's song. Now, did he sing it? Again, we don't know. But it, the, the way, the rhyme, the meter, everything fits that it could have been a song. And uh, so subsequently it has been put to music. So let's see what Zechariah said in verse 67. His father Zechariah was filled with the spirit and prophesied. So maybe it was not sung, but simply a prophecy. We, we don't know for sure. A sung prophecy or who knows? All right, look what, here's what he said. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. How did Zechariah know all this? Who revealed it to him? God revealed it to him. Zechariah was a godly man, and he listened to the voice of the Lord. And the Lord said, This child is extraordinary, and Zechariah here is who he is and what he's going to do. And Zechariah rejoices at what he reads is the future of his son. So here's what we can learn from Zechariah's song. God, in his mercy, has sent salvation to his people. Now, there are four points that I've written down for Zechariah's song. And I'm going to tell you what they are and then go back and elaborate on them a little bit. So first of all, the plan of salvation, the purpose of salvation, the prophet of salvation, and the peace of salvation. So I'll say those again. The plan the purpose, the prophet, and the peace of salvation we see in this text, Zechariah's song. So first, the plan of salvation, verse 68, 70, and 71. Zechariah offers praise in verse 68. In verse 69, he uses the word horn. 
The word horn is used in the Bible many times to symbolize strength or power. So in that 69th verse, he says he has raised up a horn of salvation, the power of salvation for us, his people. This is the powerful salvation for Israel that was promised to come through David, that was prophesied through the prophets, that goes all the way back to the ancestors and to Abraham. And understand, there is there is a dual proclamation of salvation in this passage that points to the people of Israel and says God's going to keep his promise to save you, rescue you from your enemies and to use you for his glory and also the salvation that is to be found in Jesus. So Zechariah is singing that or prophesying that or pronouncing that. And in verse 72, he says salvation is an act of mercy. Now the entire Bible points out to us, the entire Bible is is about salvation. The Bible has one story. That's God's story. The, the saving of of his people, us, um, coming to not forgetting us, but providing the way of salvation for us. And so we understand that for Israel, this is going to be an actual physical rescue. And for you and me, this is going to be our spiritual salvation that is found in Jesus. So there's a plan of salvation that is announced by Zechariah. There is the purpose of salvation, which very simply can be stated this way in verse 72, 73, 74, 75, to serve and worship God. That, that's basically it. The, the purpose of our salvation is that we serve and worship God. Now, we might say, well, the purpose of salvation is so I can go to heaven. Um, well, that's a byproduct of salvation. But the purpose of salvation is that we serve and worship God. Now, the prophet of salvation, obviously, is going to be the boy, John the baptizer. He is going to till the soul of Israel's heart. He he is not the Savior himself, but he's going to make, make things ready for the Savior by teaching people how to be saved. Um, there's a greatness for John that comes from his serving the Lord Jesus. What is it that Jesus said of John in comparing John to anyone else? What did he say? Everybody want to jump in and answer that? Hit your space bar. What did Jesus say about John? Greatest among men. Absolutely correct. The greatest among men, John the Baptist, none greater than him. Coming from the lips of Jesus, uh, I don't know how you get a better compliment than that. Not only that, but in verse 30 of John chapter 3, John says in regard to Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. But John the Baptist, John the baptizers, tilling the soil of the hearts of Israel in preparation for the coming of the Messiah. Then there's the peace of salvation. 
verses 77, 78, and 79. This salvation is ultimately spiritual and personal, the forgiveness of our sins. And this salvation is by God's mercy, it says in verse 78. Um, verse 1 John 1, 9, John puts it this way. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the salvation, the peace of salvation is ultimately spiritual and personal. It is an act of God's mercy. And this salvation, according to verses 78, 79, brings light, brings light to the world. Um, through his mercy, we receive light. Jesus is the light of the world. This light is Christ himself. And everything shines in his light. Darkness is banished and defeated. And the path of peace is a result of our salvation. Now, let me finish up with verse 80 as far as this chapter is concerned. Um, I call it young John. As we look again, the child grew and became strong in spirit. We talked about that a moment ago. The spirit of God's on him. And it tells us that he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. We know when he came out of the wilderness, to say that he was unusual would be an understatement. Unusual in his clothing, unusual in his appearance, unusual in his diet, unusual in his message. And that his message was one of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance and and be baptized. He lived in obscurity until the time was right. Um, we know that he lived in the wilderness. And so that means he lived, um, the wilderness area would have been south of Jerusalem in the desert area next to the Dead Sea. Uh, many believe that he lived in a place called Qumran, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. And uh, that is an incredibly desolate place. Some of you have been there, you know. Um, and that is likely where John uh, spent his younger years in preparing for the coming of the Savior. And we will see him again in the Gospels. We will see him when he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who's he talking about? Jesus. Jesus. Now, I want to talk about the four songs in Luke chapter 1 and 2 for just a moment. And I, I think likely that's where we'll end, and we'll start with the birth of Jesus next week. It'll be Christmas next next Wednesday, okay? So there are four songs in Luke 1 and 2, or at least we, we, we can call them songs. The first we read earlier, it's the Magnificat. Um, sung by Mary in uh, verses 46 to 55 of, of chapter 1. My soul does magnify, magnify, magnificat, magnify the Lord. The second one is the prayer of, uh, or the song of Zechariah, uh, called the Benedictus, or the blessing of, uh, of, of Zechariah, verses 68 to 79. So that's the first two songs. Then the third song is found in Luke. Anybody know what that third song is and who sings it? Who sings it? I know you know. Push your mute button and angels. Song of the angels. Absolutely. Angels sing. And what do they say? Glory in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. Gloria in excelsis Deo. 
sung by the angels. In the fourth song that we'll get to sometime later this year, and I'm just kidding, uh, is the song sung by Simeon in Luke 2, 29 to 32, or pronounced by Simeon. Now, in Latin, a little Latin lesson, it's, it's Nunc Dimittis. Nunc Dimittis. N-U-N-C, which means now. Dimittis means dismiss. Sort of sounds like it, doesn't it? Dimittis, dismiss. D-I-M-I-T-T-I-S. Nunc Dimittis. And what it means is now you dismiss or now, Lord, you, you can take me home. Simeon says, my eyes have seen the Savior. I've been waiting for this. Now you can dismiss me. There's nothing left for me to do. Take me home. Basically is what, what Simeon is saying. Dismiss your servant, O Lord. So those are four songs we call them found in Luke chapter one and two. Now next week we're going to do Luke chapter two. Uh, at least we'll get started on it. So here's what you can do if you'd like. Um, you can wear your Christmas outfit next week. Um, put on some green or some red or whatever. And now you say, well, Pastor, I put all my Christmas stuff up in the attic. Okay, well, don't go up in the attic and get it. But if you've got something nearby that you can put your hands on to wear um, next Next Wednesday, we'll try to look like Christmas. And if we were able to eat together, I would have asked Vicky to tell our caterer that we would like uh, ham and green beans and potato and dressing and sweet potatoes. You know, we'd want a Christmas meal next week. But sadly, uh, we won't get it unless you fix it yourself. All right. Anybody have any closing comments today? 